Welcome to the Better Money, Better World Show, a podcast project of Impact Capital Managers, or ICM. ICM is a group of investors who believe that by solving the world's greatest challenges, we will generate market-leading returns for investors while bending the arc of human history towards sustainability and justice. ICM members have backed companies ranging from Tesla to Coursera to Vital Farms. Collectively, ICM's 60 members manage over $12 billion. I'm your host, Daniel Pianco, a co-founder of ICM. My day job is co-founder and managing director of Achieve Partners, a leading investor in education and human capital. Here on Better Money, Better World, we'll explore the stories of our investor members, the companies we're building, and the limited partners allocating money to investors who don't just seek alpha, but also to leverage their capital to build a better world. Episodes will be released each week and feature a new guest telling their own unique investment stories, strategies, and perspectives. And we've got lots of great guests lined up. So if you're excited about what this show might teach you about impact investing and the people behind it, make sure you subscribe to Better Money, Better World, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to highlight the work of impact investors and grow the community of impact investing. Now, with that out of the way, let me introduce you to our Better Money, Better World guests. Jennifer Kenning co-founded Align Impact in 2014. She had struggled with severe depression, which led her to work with homeless people in Los Angeles that then inspired her to create the $2.3 billion under-advisement impact investing firm. Align co-creates with clients and then implements impact investing strategies with foundations, families, and institutions. Named 40 Under 40 by Investment News and amongst the 50 most influential women in private wealth by private asset management, Kenning believes that capitalism can be a force for good, bringing people-centered solutions to global issues ranging from climate change to education. Align believes there is a myth of a trade-off between impact and returns, and Kenning turns to data to compare impact-oriented strategies to traditional investing. The impact returns demonstrate the success of her strategies. Kenning prides herself on finding unique niches of impact to connect her clients' interests from master limited partnerships to art. Listen as Kenning describes building bespoke investment programs that deliver impact and alpha. Welcome, Jennifer Kenning, to the Better Money, Better World podcast. Great to be here. So really excited to hear about your story. You've been a leader in the space for over 20 years. And, and just help me uh, understand if I'm like a foundation and I call you up and say, come, give me the elevator pitch on a line and why I should align, why I should uh, hire a line to help me uh, work with my impact portfolio. What's, what's sort of the elevator pitch? Well, thanks for calling. Would love to understand why you're so excited about impact and what's the key issue that you're hoping to make a difference with. And then usually they share something about their mission from their foundation's perspective. And then we go on a normal dialogue question, going back and forth and questioning. And usually my second kind of after getting them to interact with me, because I actually think it is a relationship-driven business, is where do you believe you are today on that journey? Um, How much of your endowment do you actually know how it's invested today? Um, and usually that sparks an entire dialogue. Um, and really we get to know each other because at the end of the day, if you're going to hire us, there's a mutual respect and trust and a value add that we each bring to the table 
that's going to make both organizations stronger by working together. And we have something uniquely different that you're looking to complement your team with. And you you clearly are passionate about this topic. Was there a moment when you said, hey, I, I'm going to start a line to, to achieve this mission? What, what was that mission? What was that moment where you kind of had that spark? Yeah, I am very passionate about it. Sometimes I have to warn my audiences, please don't take my passion as I'm yelling at you. Because <laughs> actually my number one core value in life is collaboration. Um, and I really try to live that out personally and professionally. Um, but there was actually a couple moments, but I would say the defining moment of my passion for impact and capitalism and how we have systems work together. And we'll get into that, I suspect some today is when I worked with the homeless population in Los Angeles uh, in 2008, 2009. Um, I was struggling with severe depression at that time in my personal life. Um, and my way of curing myself was working with uh, homeless people and really seeing the invisible and seeing myself in their eyes. Um, and what I saw was the systems were broken. Um, they The the state, local, and federal governments only can do so much. The nonprofits and the wraparound services weren't getting it done, and that we really needed investment capital to drive solutions in that marketplace, and we still do today. That was one. Number two, I went to Nicaragua, Guatemala, um, all over Africa, and realized after seeing poverty and climate issues on six continents that we really needed a different solution. So that was between 2008 and 2013. And so I came back from Africa in 2013 and I asked myself the hard question, what's your why? If you could move the needle, what would you be doing? And I decided at that point that I would build an advisory firm that really solved three things. One is met clients where they're at so that they could go on their impact journey and they could discover their why and how they're gonna do what they're gonna do and what they're gonna do. Uh, two is that we would build it in a way that it would be grounded in the impact thesis and the strategy that the client wanted to set forth. Where are you today and where are you trying to get to? And then last but certainly not least, it would be in the rigors of finance and building portfolios and the fundamentals of economics and finance and how that can drive not only returns, but also the impact we need at scale for some of the biggest issues we face globally. So it's interesting. When I started reading some of your work, you said that uh, tying in, I, I want to jump to this and, and hit on it. You know, you wrote that uh, part of why you created a line or one of the things you're focusing on is making capitalism, that capitalism as we know it might be broken. Um, that implies that at some point capitalism was working. So what happened that broke capitalism and what can we do to regain a more equitable version of capitalism? Yeah, capitalism, in my viewpoint, isn't bad, right? It, it's a um, way that we function in society and we have for the last 40, 60, 100 years used capitalism and business as a force for good, right? To democratize and to accelerate technology and to really bring people into the system. But somewhere along the way in the last 20 years, we've also disenfranchised and we've become about the product and the machine rather than the people and the solutions. Um, and so when I say it's broken, it's because it's become this mainstream Wall Street product, let's drive product into the marketplace and then the product will fix it. When in reality, we actually believe it's the people, the planet and the 
kind of the solutions that are going to fix it, right? And we need all types of capital. We need government funding, we need philanthropic funding, and we need investment funding. And we need those types of funding to work together. So when we say, how do we repair capitalism? It's really that stakeholder approach. It's let's Let's deliver shareholder returns, but let's also look at our people and our organizations and deliver fair wages, career opportunities, um, moving people into the middle and upper class, giving them a safe place to work and a place to live. It's our supply chains. How do we actually integrate everything from the raw material at the beginning and the person in the factory making it into the win-win equation and into the model to that they get paid a fair wage inside of the entire distribution chain. So when I say broken to fixing it, it's really that stakeholder approach. It's that each of the stakeholders is represented and actually gets a return from the entire uh, process and ultimately where the product or good is uh, or service is delivered. So if, if I'm an uh, investor or an LP and I, and I hear that, and I, and I, then my next question is logically like, okay, so how do I allocate my capital to accomplish that? Great question. So first you want to start with, are you, do we need to still talk through that you believe that this is how we should invest and that these are good fundamental things that we should factor into our investment decision-making process. If your answer is yes, I bought into that and I believe that, then the question becomes, are you willing to go all in or do you want to do kind of slowly dip your toe in? I'm all is, in. Assume I'm all, all in. in. What do I do? I'm all you're in. All. I want to change the world with my capital. How do I so do So let's start with, do we even know where capital is invested today? Do, do you know how much carbon intensity your existing portfolio has? Do you know where your money's sleeping at night? Do you know the underlying companies, funds, um, fixed income port, uh, instruments that you currently own? Let's assume no. What do I, what do okay, I, let's, let's take so, one of those. Let's take where my money's sleeping at night or where, where would you start? Let's start with your issue area. So give me an issue. You're passionate about education. I'm, I know I'm, that. I, I wear that right? on my sleeve. I'm sorry. I'm an education person. But, but so great. You're great. You're passionate about education and we can make really good investments in education from the private equity venture uh, growth equity, as well as the philanthropic space. But what's often overlooked in building a total portfolio is the fixed income space in the public markets, right? We're going to screen for the financial characteristic, duration, credit, yields, uh, the fundamentals that we look for. We can go one step deeper than that. We can actually look at what are the underlying municipalities that we're funding? And are we funding municipalities that are underfunded and their graduation rates aren't at the level they need to be because we haven't reinvested in their schools, infrastructure, or the curriculum, or the teachers in the last 20 to 30 years because the property taxes haven't supported that reinvestment? We as investors can invest in a mini bond that supports that, that infrastructure, that development, and get the same type of return we would get if we were investing in any mini bond just that was derived by the financial characteristics. What happens there is most people tend to go to the more, the better performing municipalities because they have higher credit ratings or potentially higher graduation rates. 
What we actually need to do is we need to go to the municipalities that are underfunded in the 40 to 65% graduation rates and actually focus there. So that's one area to make it into layman's terms for our listeners. You already own taxables or muni bonds in your portfolio. Take it one level deeper. What do you actually, what are you funding with your loan, your capital? And do you have another alternative that will get you the same or equivalent financial returns that actually aligns with your passion and education? So uh, the logical thing that comes from that is, do I take a trade-off in terms of risk or return by doing that? There's this myth, though, that you take a trade-off. You could take a trade-off if you chose for the impact to be first and the financial second, right? And there are different probably schools of thought in different ways, foundations, donor advised funds, and other investors may choose that. You don't have to. There is so much data that shows that you can get the same type of returns as in the traditional markets. You just have to do that research to really compare and contrast. You do not have to sacrifice returns. Let's use that. Let's stick with the investing in education through the municipality. You can still get the same exact financial characteristics and the same terms. It's just you then said, I, I want to specifically allocate to that municipality rather than any municipality, right? So you're still getting that AAA rated bond, five-year duration that's yielding you know, a 2% return. You're still getting that and you're getting the benefit of that your dollars are working in that community that's starved for capital. So you don't have to sacrifice return, but that's going to be accomplished through your diligence process and how you evaluate your underlying managers and the underlying products that you're potentially going to invest in. So I guess the the million dollar question is that there is this implicit belief that there is this trade-off. If you are in charge of public relations or impact managers across the spectrum, what would be your marketing pitch to convince people that you can have both impact and alpha? Well, two things. One is I would always compare myself to traditional benchmarks. So if you're in the private markets, you should be comparing yourself to every investment in the top one or two tiers of Cambridge Analytics. Right? You should compare yourself to the traditional investments. If you're in the public markets, you should compare yourself not only to your peer group, but also to the benchmark that's your respective benchmark. So if you're in, um, if your respective benchmark is the Russell 3000, you should compare your product on page one to the Russell 3000. If yours is the S&P 500, compare it to that MSCIL Country World Index. Put it front and center right? Don't have it be an afterthought. Take it right at head on. And then the second is that, that I would demonstrate where the returns are coming from. So I demonstrate where is the alpha derived from. So an example would be if you've invested in ESG mutual funds in the last three to five years, you probably have outperformed because you had an under allocation, most likely to oil and gas. You are going to underperform in this current environment because of where oil is and because of the nature of that sector. You need to understand either where your alpha is coming from or where your drag is coming from and be able to actually articulate that 
so that you can understand how it's going to work in different economic cycles and different markets and that where the alpha is going to be derived from long term. So assuming you're right, why do you think there is this fundamental kind of implied or, or, or believed trade-off between the two? I think a couple of things. One is we have so much product that is greenwashing, pinkwashing, bluewashing, brownwashing, um, that it dilutes the marketplace because it's now the new, you know, it's the way I perceive CSR was a decade ago, right? Corporate social responsibility. Um, it was a report we produced and we made it, we made the narrative work inside of the report. So I think one is, is the greenwashing in some sense. Two is people like systems that they know and have vetted to be able to vet um, kind of in their standard of vetting. So they like rating systems. They like accounting systems. They like benchmarks. Um, they want it to be all buttoned up and they want impact reporting and accounting to be similar to the traditional markets. We will get there. It's going to take time. We did not report today the way we reported in 1990 for public companies. It's quite different if you actually go back and look at it from 20 to 30 years ago. And so I think there's that they can't put it in a box and it's so not so neat. And then last is they are they're buying whatever is being put in front of them or sold to them. So advisors, institutions are selling them whatever they're selling them and that's what's in front of them. And so they don't have this, here's this opportunity and here's this opportunity. How do we look at them and compare and contrast them apples to apples and make an informed decision? So therefore the inherent thesis is there must be a trade-off. Now to caveat it, and then I'll pause, is you absolutely, not all ESG or impact investments are created equal. Just like 95% of the investment universe isn't the same, is not in a universe you may not invest in. Right, they're not all created equal. So, if if I'm a manager and I come into your office, how do I distinguish myself in those regards? Well, for starters, I would ask you not to come in with the expectation that you want to distinguish yourself. Come in as yourself. Um, we really appreciate managers that can quickly cut to the chase and express themselves freely. We're looking for a genuine commitment, not only to the financial rigors, but to the impact itself. Um, and that starts with the leader bringing themselves to the table. Um, we want you to demonstrate your deep knowledge about why you're choosing to invest in this theme. If you're going to be a climate investor, we want you to really demonstrate that you know that space inside and out. Um, we want you to have commitment to diversity of your team and your strategy. So we want you to actually be able to articulate your diversity, equity, and inclusion, not only at your team level, but also at your strategy level and your underlying portfolio company levels. And then lastly, we're going to really want to look to see, have you integrated the impact into your investment process, into the measurement, or is it just a nice to have add-on? right? Is it integrated into the business models of the underlying portfolio companies that you're investing in? And then are you aware of the negative uh, consequences or the externalities that may exist? And are you transparent about that? That's a big, that's a tall order. Um, and you go across a lot of different uh, 
areas. Are there areas of the private markets or even public markets that are underserved by impact managers that you're actively looking for more product in? Yeah, I think there's a lot of areas, um, and but there's less, Daniel, than there was three to five years ago. If you actually look at the Rockefeller chart from 10 years ago that Align redid, I think in about 2017 or 18, we have less areas that have an empty box, which means we don't really have any investment solutions to solve that problem uh, with a real financial instrument. Um, I think some of the areas that are still underfunded, it's really around uh, women, BIPOC, first-time managers. It's actually the structural issue uh, as much as it is, is the thesis. I think some of the impact themes that are still really underfunded um, that could use a lot more capital is, um, you know, w- one that comes to mind is kind of the workforce, kind of how do we retrain and how do we, and you know this really well, right? How do we get people trained for the jobs of the future? In addition, how do we deal with this work environment that we're in, right? We don't see enough of the overlap of where the market is with where the workforce is, with where they desire to be with the hybrid slash uh, great resignation. So all of those things need to come together. I think another area is conservation. Conservation and circular economy and repurpose and regenerating from everything from soil health to raw materials to reuse is still way underrepresented. And if you think about that, we need that not only from a climate perspective, but also from a human perspective. And then lastly, I'd say, if you take those two is where's the intersectionality between climate and social and racial justice, and we would move that into climate justice, right? We need to invest more in climate, not only for the climate conversation, but because of the impact that the climate's having downstream and how it's impacting uh, individuals that didn't contribute to the problem and that ultimately they're going to be the ones impacted. We need to start investing in those communities. A good example of this would be in the dye in the clothes gets into the water system in those developing and emerging economies and it impacts those communities more than it impacts us when we get the final product to put on our body, right? Because we're six steps removed from that entire distribution process. Totally get it. And, and it's interesting, you, you talk a lot about this twin environmental and racial justice issues that are intertwined. Um, and a lot of your messaging around uh, impact investing is driven by those two tw- twin themes. Can you describe how the recent social justice awakening around Black Lives Matter um, has impacted Align's existing and prospective clients? Absolutely. I just want to be clear. We always focused on this prior to 2020. So this wasn't something that we just started in 2020 coming out of Black Lives Matter, or George Floyd, or the what we're currently facing in society. Um, this is actually in our DNA, as you know, I believe, right, from everything from how we were founded to the values we live by as an organization to the diversity on our team, right? I have 
22 plus people that have lived in 20 countries, speak 14 languages and have an enormous amount of gender and ethnicity diversity. And the reason why is we want different thinking, different thoughts, different life experiences, different ways that people look at issues and come with different solutions. They also come with different backgrounds. So this is starts at home with leadership myself, as well as how we built the company. Then that goes to our clients. Our clients are well aware of what the diversity makeup is, both gender and ethnicity, of their underlying companies, both in the public markets and the private markets. So on June 4th of 2020, you could call us and ask us, what the diversity makeup is of your portfolio. And we could get back to you within a day or two because we actually knew the diversity of our portfolios. What does What is the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion of the makeup of the underlying public and private companies? To take it one step further, what we've done since 2020, really driven by clients, is that we started in 2020 with a survey to our asset managers or our products to give us back the data that we were seeking so that we could compile it in an even more rigorous way. And then in 21, we went even farther and we started to say, um, we're not just gonna take the data that you give us as that's it, we're gonna actually interview you. We're gonna actually see how it's woven into your practice. We're gonna see how you use that in your evaluation of the underlying portfolio companies or how you treat your people. And then we're gonna start to push industries and managers that don't have the diversity. So one that comes to mind is real estate, right? It is very predominantly white males. Um, And we press our managers on that and say, we will divest of you if you don't course correct. And we start to have a dialogue with them to start to move in that direction. If you're coming in today as your previous question, asking to be uh, vetted by us, if your diversity and inclusion is not there already, you're going to have a hard time even getting a second meeting with us because it's ingrained in our process and who we are, because our clients care that much about it and want to really know that we're moving the needle as a collective community in this issue area. Yeah, that, that's clear. And something you've been very open with with us uh, in, our, in, in, my, in our day, in my day job. <laughs> um, how, um, I want to come back to something you said, which is you've, you've been, uh, consistent on these points for, I mean, as long as I've known your organization and, and, and pre predating, uh, George Floyd and other things, but there are these sort of evolving trends in impact investing, you know, and, and DEI was clearly the most recent. Um, but how do you kind of keep consistency with your investment allocations across, you know, these, these shifting tides of interest from limited partners and your investors? Great question. Um, Again, it's we don't believe that there's one solution. We believe that it's lots of different investments that are going to drive the solutions. Um, It's hundreds and hundreds of investments that are going to drive the solutions. So we really try to take a macro and micro perspective. Um, We really try to educate our investors around what are the macro trends and how do those trends interact with other trends and start to bridge and really connect the dots for them. Because oftentimes they don't see how 
the water issue in Malaysia impacts that community from the clothes that they're wearing, right? So really connecting the issues together. Um, so starting at that macro level and then looking at investment options at a micro level. So each investment is looked at its, on its own merit based on predetermined process, as you're well aware. And then we compare that investment once it's gotten through rigorous due diligence to other investments in their respective peer group that they could make as an investor and other investments they can make in other themes that complement their main theme. So by giving the investor kind of an array of solutions that aren't just in one area, education or climate change or social racial justice, you can start to build a diversified portfolio and you can start to have them actually complement each other, um, which is why we don't have to change our narrative. We don't have to change our narrative because we're 100% impact investment advisory firm. This is all we do. And our goal is to help individuals, family offices, foundations, institutions start to see that they ha- there is a lot of opportunity for investments and solutions, and we need to invest in those solutions. The private companies of today are you're going to be your public companies five, seven to 10 years from now, if not sooner right? You and I could go, we could have a whole podcast on education companies. A lot of the public education companies were not public companies just three years ago, right? We invested in those companies five to seven years ago because we believe that that was where the entire society was going and that they would be a leading company in the future, really driving the change we want to see. Do your clients ever come to you with an idea around impact that you haven't had that really made you think differently? All the time. So there's that. And then they come to us with ideas that we're like, this will never work. This is not investable. But what, what, give me a, give me a second. With that, with that, what, where's one where you were like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Your client came to you to get, it, it blew your mind and you're like, I got to do this or, or move different directions. So there actually is one sec. There's, well, there's actually a couple of sectors where we used to say there's no solution there or that's never going to work because it's a contradictory, like it's contra- It's a paradox, right? Uh, one is MLPs. So clients five years ago were like- What's an MLP, a master limited A master partner. limited partnership, extracting oil, right? So they're like, can you get me a green MLP? I'm like, no, <laughs> <I can't. laughs> that doesn't make sense. But actually, Hamayan, our director of investments, he actually was like, let me go see if there are potentially any- cleaner, greener MLPs that we could use as a as an option for that piece of the asset allocation. And lo and behold, there actually was. Now that's not something we went and like vetted and like developed because we actually want to move people to a low carbon economy, decarbonized net zero movement, right? So we're not looking to just do something cleaner we're actually looking for game-changing solutions that are adaptive, mitigating, and conserving. Um, But there was a solution. So today, my answer, art used to be that way. We used to not be able to have impact investments in art and culture. Today, we have Upstart, and we have plenty of options to invest in the art culture. So today, if someone says, is there some random, very niche thing? My answer is, I don't know. I will get back to you. And then it's a nice exploration because I've learned. And so as the team that 
hey, there might actually be an investable opportunity out there. It may not be an investable opportunity that's going to meet the rigors of our due diligence. And then we have a conversation with the client around, do you want to use other forms of capital? Do we want to do research and development? Do we want to make a grant? Do we want to use some innovative financing tool to fund this objective until it gets to more mainstream to where it really is ready for regular investment capital? Um, we only have a few minutes left, so I want to switch to a topic that I think is near and dear to both of our hearts, um, which is books. And you talk a lot about books in your blog posts and in your in your discussions. Talk, talk, give some book recommendations of things that have really informed your macro lens on impact investing in the economy in general. Yeah, great question. I love reading. I wish I could read more than I do, and I probably read more than most people. So thanks for asking the question. I'm usually reading uh, three or four, if not five books at a time, because I like to digest them. Um, I want to sit down and read, you know, Bill Gates's book on how to avoid the climate disaster and not read it cover to cover. I want to like sit with the issue and like think through it and see what the solutions could be. Uh, so that's one that uh, Amayan has spoken about. Um, Project Drawdown has really informed our work. Um, so Paul Hawkins and others. Uh, book that came out a few years ago. Um, it used to be 50 ways we could revert climate change by 2040. Uh, now it's got, I think, close to 100. We're now currently reading Regeneration, which is his new. It's more, instead of taking it top-down science-based, it's more bottom-up in our interpretation and really human element and action-oriented. And how do we get everyone to join the movement? I think for me, um, there's been very, there's really been three books that kind of transformed the way I think about this. Um, one of them is recent and two of them are more back in the day. So I'll start with the one that really was the, I'm up late at night and I'm going into this space full time, uh, which is the Blue Sweater Project by Jacqueline Novogratz. Um, and I really, you know, saw like we needed to bring business solutions to the developing and emerging economies um, and that patient capital and capital investment capital were the way to do that. And I read that book in 2008 and it was transformative. I wouldn't be doing this probably today if I hadn't had that experience along with being in the field. Um, the other one that's super transformative right now, I just finished Martin Luther King's biography, um, and it's super profound um, because everything that he went through in the 50s and 60s, we're actually going through again today. Um, and this social racial justice conversation is uh, is very similar to what was occurring in the 50s and 60s to the point of it's the same states and voting rights and uh, unconscious biases. I mean, I literally could only read little excerpts at a time because my mouth was on the floor, like how it, history really does repeat itself every 50 to 60 years. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of wisdom we can read in autobiographies and biographies of other leaders that have come before us that have tackled similar issues. Even the Ukraine, Ukraine crisis right now, there are similar um, stories that you would see in the civil rights movement in the US in the 50s and 60s. Um, so really like not your typical impact investing novel, um, but one that really can inform us. And then a lot of the team 
is uh, look reading uh, The Future We Choose. Um, I haven't read that yet, but I always ask our team, what are you guys reading? Because they have great minds and great thoughts and we're all different, right? So we're reading different types of books um, that really inform our thinking and how we lead and how we show up. And um, I think there's lots of great wisdom in, in reading the past as well as the future. Uh, and I think that great leaders are avid readers. Um, I'm big into stoicism. And so I love that they really do focus on, you know, some of the great leaders of our time over the last, you know, 2000 years were avid readers and learned from history. Yeah, I'm not sure avid stoics are generally associated with impact <laughs> investing, but but we may get there. We Last question, because, you know, clearly this movement only works if we grow it. What what do you think we can do um, as an impact investing community to grow um, the number of, of firms and assets under management that are that have a more impact orientation? So we need to collaborate better with everyone from corporations to government to Wall Street. Um, and what I mean by that is it's not us and them, right? We're all together. Or they're all going to rise together or all going to fall together. We This should be trillions and trillions of dollars. We need to move trillions of dollars to address these issues. So we actually need to start partnering and working, collaborating better with the existing infrastructure, with the innovative infrastructure. Next thing is we need to start educating this in high schools and colleges and the next generation. We need to like weave this into how they consume, how they bank, how they invest right from the get-go. We're starting to see it, right? Because then they're going to go work at corporations and they're going to demand that there's this type of investing inside the 401k, uh, that there's transparency at the corporate level, that there's equal pay. They're going to start changing it from the inside. Um, and then lastly is that we need to really bring everyone into the equation and start to democratize, which we're doing around boards, investment committees who we fund, uh, really, can we get the collective and different viewpoints at the table? Because, Daniel, that will shift the products that we have and that will start to shift the entire system. Um, so as impact investors, we need to continue, for lack of better words, to play nice in the sandbox, to educate, to not, and to, to hear the other side and then to bridge to that other side and to bridge from you can do it your traditional way and you can still uh, take the factors of social, racial justice as well as climate into effect. That, that's really a great place to end on and, and hopefully uh, we will all um, see a, a different future. Uh, so thank you, Jennifer, for all the work that you and Align Impact do uh, for the community and we look forward to uh, what the future holds. Thanks so much for having me. This is Marika Spence, Executive Director of Impact Capital Managers. Better Money, Better World is made possible in part by ICM, a nonprofit network of over 60 best-in-class fund managers investing for superior returns and meaningful impact across North America and beyond. Our members share a passion for partnering with entrepreneurs and scaling companies that will realize a more resilient, equitable, and sustainable future. If you enjoyed today's conversation, tune in for the next episode of Better Money, Better World. Tell your friends and visit us online at www.impactcapitalmanagers.com.